If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a Hey there, podcast listener. It's John here, and I wanted to share this bonus episode with you. As you likely already know, just earlier this month marks the one-year anniversary of my attempting to go full-time with Gen X Grown Up. Uh, We just crossed a major milestone over on YouTube, and it's been quite a ride. Mo and George have been infinitely supportive of everything that I've been doing. It's it's been scary, but it's also been exciting. And it's been great to have you to come along with us for the ride. Many months ago, and just a couple of months into my full-time adventure, Vincent Ferrari reached out to me. Now, Vincent has his own podcast, Digitally Creative with Vincent Ferrari, and he invited me on his show to talk about what I was doing about, you know, my attempt to make content creation full time and not going into, you know, a, a real job and that sort of thing. And I thought this would be the perfect time to not only share that interview with you because it's a snapshot in time of where we were nearly a year ago and where my mindset was and where Gen X Grown Up was, but also to share Vincent's show with you. Now, Vincent's show, Digitally Creative, is a podcast about the intersection of technology and creativity. And each week, Vincent talks to guests that are creatives, uh, digital artists, content creators, makers, stuff like that. Each episode is a conversation about that guest's body of work, but also their motivations, their inspirations, and how they got to where they are. Vincent likes to think of it as like behind the music for creatives and content creators. So you can see how, for me, this was a very opportune and interesting time to catch me right as I was jumping into this full-time venture. So I'm going to share with you now here on our feed this interview from many months ago when Vincent invited me on his show. Uh, Give it a listen, and I encourage you to hop over and subscribe to Digitally Creative with Vincent Ferrari for this and many more great episodes of his show. So here we go. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Digitally Creative. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me this week, someone who's a little bit outside the norm of the guests that we usually have on here, but I think it's someone you're really going to enjoy. He's the master of everything Gen X and an expert on old stuff, kind of like me in my other life that you guys probably know about. Um, I have the one and only John Reddick from Gen X Grown Up. What's going on, John? How you doing? Hey, Vincent. First, I want to thank you for inviting me to come on. I know we were talking a little before the show, and you're like, you know, I can only think of one person to be here to talk about this stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, but he wasn't available. So here's John. Right? <laughs> here's you know, John. I, I'm John, thrilled that you invited me on. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Because I'll tell you what, I have been I have been a fan. So this is really funny. I was a fan of your website 
now of your YouTube channel for a really long time. And then one time I was commenting on something or other and you responded to the comment and you're like, man, you would really love our podcast. I'm like, you're what? Okay. Like, I was like, <laughs> wait, what? You have a podcast? And I've been listening to the podcast ever since. Like, it's just, oh, well. I love, I really do love, because there's so many um, Gen X and retro type content channels and podcasts. Sure. Yeah. And I don't know, there's just, they, there's a lot of sameitude to them. And I think that sure. what you guys, what you and Mo and George have put together is just absolutely magical, you know between the podcast, oh, wow. the website and what you guys do, it's just absolutely fantastic. So you do a really great job at it. Wow. So, okay. I thank you like five times for like five <laughs> things that happened in that lesson. So thank you for watching on YouTube. That's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you for commenting, taking the time to do that. I, and I periodically, I will get commenters like you and it's not like a canned response, but I absolutely, somebody will go, Oh yeah. remember such and such like, dude, we so remember that you should go listen <laughs> to the podcast. So, so you, you fell in one of those categories. Oh and then yeah. You went and listened. You actually did. So mm -hmm. there's like the fourth or fifth thank you. I don't know. We're going to keep them going. And your kind words about this show. I mean, you're right. There's a lot of stuff out there. Not just, I mean, first, there's so many podcasts out there. We could go on a whole tangent about my opinion about the podcast landscape if, if you ever wanted to. But there's a lot of Gen X stuff out there, too. And, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of it falls in what I kind of call just the, like the Skype call. You know, it's, it's, yeah. some, we get together and just talk, but there's no, it's not trying to be a show. It's just some chit chat with some inside jokes. And if you listen every single week, maybe you dig it. You know, we really, we really strive to make something that is pleasing to the ear. That's entertaining. That's genuine. And, and when it resonates with anybody like it did with you, I'm, I could mm -hmm. not be more grateful and more appreciative that, uh, that you're there, that we have your ears. Well, there's something about your podcast and it, it's noticeable immediately. First of all, you all sound like experienced radio voices, which is mm. weird because you normally when you get a podcast, you get the host is kind of a lot of times you'll get the host is really good. And then the mm. ancillary characters are kind of like there for filler <laughs> when the host can't yeah. think of something. But you guys mm -hmm. are really good together. I know your production values are off the chart. You even pan Mo and George to the left mm -hmm. and right. And it's really right. funny because I don't notice it as much. You know, if I'm listening on a computer, but when I'm listening in my car, I feel like Mo is sitting behind me and George is sitting next to me. It's That's like right. really, really weird. But, you yeah. know, just the fact that you put that much thought into the production of the podcast, especially the audio, because most people sadly do forget about audio these days when it comes mm -hmm. to podcasts. Yeah. But you put a lot of thought into it that the videos, there's a lot of it's not I don't know, man. It just feels like you're putting in way more effort and it shows plus the passion combined with it. Just, it works for what you guys do. And now if only someone would watch it, that's all we're, that's all we're lacking. Really. You'll get there. You'll get there. So <laughs> that's the thing. Like it's, well, let's start there because I think one of the things that's most sure. interesting and one of the things that catches my eye so much is the explosion of like Gen X type content. And what mm -hmm. I find most amazing, and I think you'll probably you've probably noticed this too. I mean, you have kids, right? Or mm -hmm. I have one. I have one grown child. Yeah. Right. Daughter. Okay. So it's weird how young kids are just as into this stuff as we are. Like, if you hand yeah. a younger kid an Atari twenty six hundred game in some form, they'll play it and mm -hmm. they'll enjoy it, and they'll be like, "Yeah, okay, maybe this isn't like you know Fortnite level graphics, but it's something that they can." They enjoy it just as much as we do. And I think that's kind of something unique about the Gen X experience where all this old stuff that we love really, really has. I mean, I don't want to say it's aged well because some of it hasn't, but mm -hmm. 
but it's kind of timeless. Even kids that didn't experience it can go back and enjoy it. I've always felt there's about a 30 or 35 year ripple effect for every generation. Think about mm -hmm. when, you know, we were kids in the eighties and I was born in 69. So uh, I'm a little, I'm a bit like on the, the older edge of Gen X. Right. And so, mm -hmm. but even then you're growing up in seventies and eighties and there was a huge nostalgia for the teeny bopper fifties, right? It was about 30, 35 True. years behind us. It kind of rolled, it kind of rolled, you know? And then in the nineties, there was like kind of, a, there was like a sixties free love kind of thing going in the nineties, mm. always about 30 years, kind of like this, this jet lag of what's going on with pop culture. People enjoy the current stuff, but for some reason, retro is about 30, 35 years ago. It's stuff that they would never be caught dead looking at if their parents were showing to them, but if they discovered right. it on their own, they're like, <laughs> look what I found all of my own. And that was really the <laughs> genesis of why I created Gen X Grown Up in the first place. I, mean, I have a background in broadcasting and I worked in television for 30 years or so. Ah, and, okay. That explains a and, lot. <laughs> and when I left television... Um, to work in the broadcast field, but not doing anything, you know, actually broadcast. My thing was I had this itch where I'm like, I miss creating stuff that mm -hmm. people see. Now, back then it was, it was local news, right? I was a local television newscast director. Uh, and I did voiceover and editing and everything at the station. And, and I, I enjoy, I love doing that. But when I got out of it, I was missing it. And there was this kind of weird nexus between I was missing that element and then I started watching YouTube on the reg for, I forget why, but I realized there were so many people doing nostalgic stuff. They're like, hey, it's retro, it's throwback, it's Gen X. I'm like, wait a minute, that's my stuff. You're just talking about it. We were there. So maybe there's an audience for people who would like to reminisce about that stuff. A, they were growing up and we were, and they want to they want to hear about it from people who were there and understand it firsthand. Mm -hmm. Or as you said, there, there's this modern generation that, Everything is pixelated and throwback and bitmap and everything. And mm -hmm. maybe they would like to hear about it from somebody that's not just posing and saying how much they like it, but was there at the genesis of it. And sure. that's kind of, that's the little narrow niche that we try to find. Now within that niche, we're wide open. We do anything from, you know, film and television and movies and games and tech and pop culture, whatever. But it's that little sliver of stuff that we said, hey, that's our stuff. Let us talk about it in a way that only people who were there know how. I think you you guys you guys hit it really well. Um, just for I always like to mention at some point we are recording this on December nineteenth. So when I say the last mm -hmm. episode, it was the one that was last week. But in last week's episode of the podcast, I think it was you guys talked about creating not so much um, a detailed account of the history of things, but more helping people to relive the experience of being there or to kind of sure. recap what it was like to actually be in that moment. And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of something that comes through where I'll get a perfect example, a perfect okay. example. The episode you guys did back in October about the, the Hulk's TV series. Oh that, yeah. Sure. That which I honestly I watched it when I was a kid. I thought it was absolutely awful, but I still watched every episode of it because it, yep. yep. even as a kid, it made no sense to me. Like it's like why is how's this reporter always chasing him around, but they can never find the Hulk, and he never puts together. <laughs> well, wow, look at that, Bruce Banner is in. It's like Clark Kent in his glasses. Like, pick up a do a little math. You could figure <laughs> yeah, exactly. it out. Exactly. Right? <laughs> wow, look at that, greatest disguise ever. He puts glasses on. Look, hold on, John. How different do I look? <gasps> oh my God, you're Superman. <laughs> But I think I think that's something you guys nail. You don't try to be like the behind the music of everything that you do. You know, you do give a little background, but then it's more about even that episode, which I was listening on a two hour road trip to Connecticut. So I was really listening. I was sitting pretty much sitting still in traffic the entire mm -hmm. time. Oh, so every detail sank in. 
But what I did notice is that you didn't like, you gave a little background, but then it was mm -hmm. all about the experience of watching the show and what the show was about. And, you know, even uh, was it George and George and Mo with their interactions with Lou Ferrigno at a comic event. Mm -hmm. And it was just right. like, wow, this is the kind of stuff that you don't get from the clinical retelling of the history of something. I, I appreciate that you recognize that. And I, I will take some credit and some blame for the way that works. You know, a part of it is we absolutely want to invoke the feelings of that. And nothing is a bigger payoff than if somebody goes, oh, I listened to X episode or I watched this video and man, such and such came flooding back. And I'm like, <laughs> just, I want to do that every day for everybody that watches anything. That's that, that's that. I, I want you to have the feeling that I have when I open something that's been sealed for 30 years and I go, there it is. You know, it's, it's that reminisce. Either you forgot it or it's so far in the past that you forgot what it felt like to remember it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the blame is that we all want to do so much work, really. So we, we do just enough research that we don't sound like idiots. But really, then it's about, you know, what's George's experience? What's Mo's experience? Right. And we often right. will do roundtables like, well, what's your most memorable thing? What's your most memorable thing? Because I think there are plenty of other shows that could do what we do better mm -hmm. technically or sure. uh, factually. Right, right, right. No one More else research, has all that kind of stuff. Right, exactly. But yeah. no one else has the camaraderie and kind of the chemistry and the ability to just kind of just invoke feelings in people by cutting up together because we know each other so well. And I think that was an accidental middle ground. Like we try to be more informational and then we found out people actually more responded to the personal stories and the sure. feelings and the, the, the funny background and those sorts of things. So well, even just, even just, was it two weeks ago, you guys did your, your holiday gift guide. And I'm like, Oh God, like I saw the title come up and I'm like, Oh, come on. Not you guys. Like, I didn't too. want to hear this, right? This is a stupid, uh, yeah, but this, but this because, is Amazon clickbait show is all it is, right? You don't want to watch. <laughs> and this is the cred. This is the cred that you've earned with me because I was like, all right, these three are doing a gift guide. There's going to be some obscenity. There's going to be some, you know, slapping back and forth at each other. They're going to have a little fun with it all right i'll listen and i'll tell you what caught a couple of gifts where i was like i might need to buy that i almost bought a mention <laughs> beagle myself like because I'm so, yeah. if i hear about that damn thing on one more episode it's like all right that's an <laughs> omen i have to buy it but no i do i do love how you guys are just letting the personalities dictate what happens mm. with the mm. with the um the scene as a backdrop of what you're talking about even like the the um all the rewind episodes that you guys do, like all these episodes that are just, st I got to be honest with you, man. There's a couple of episodes you've done where I'm like, I have no interest in this. And sure. I've listened and gone, that was amazing. <laughs> you know, I just enjoy it. <laughs> and cause you know, every, even especially with Gen X, you know, cause if you're a kid and I was a kid, I was born in 76. So I was a kid through most of the eighties. So like you'll, you guys will talk about like comic books and stuff. And I wasn't really a comic book kid, mm -hmm. but Me then, either. Nope. You'll mention like Transformers and G.I. Joe. And it's like, OK, hold on. Let me get comfortable here because like this is my area of expertise. Let's go. What are sure. we talking about yeah. today, boys? <laughs> so I think that might be the uh, again, the accidental secret sauce is, mm -hmm. as you said, if you can if you could create some content that someone they relate to the personalities and the presenter. Sure. Then the content simply becomes the, it becomes the look it, it's the ice cream. Just what topping are we putting on the ice cream, right? Right, right? The content is not the ice cream anymore. The content 
uh, you know, the, the people are the ice cream. It's just what sprinkles, what flavor, putting a little sure. Butterfinger on top, a little Oreo on top. What's the topic? But ultimately, if you like ice cream, we hope you'll come back and listen, even if you didn't care about the Incredible Hulk. Or right. I think back to people always mention, we did an episode years and years ago about the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> Flat, dry. What could you do with that? And people consistently quote, as soon as I heard that, I knew I could listen to you guys talk about anything. Because it was us cutting about, cutting up and making fun about the things related to the Dewey Decimal System and trying to make connections and, you know, riffing on each other. And so it's a, I just had to pause in the middle of this and tell you how, how wonderful and gratifying it is, Vincent, to talk with you and hear from someone outside of my bubble who listens with some regularity and like you're talking about episodes from three or four weeks ago and my wife couldn't tell you what I did last <laughs> week. Right. So, uh, it, it's, it's, there's, you know, you're a creator. There's something mm-hmm. so, so warming somewhere deep in your gut about somebody got it. Right. It yeah, doesn't have to yeah. be a million people. Somebody got it. And it's like, that gives, that's the stuff that keeps, keeps fuel in the tank to make you want to keep moving forward and create more because you're like, if it worked for this person, that it probably worked for a dozen other people who didn't tell yeah. me about it. Yeah. And maybe there's, you know, maybe there's a dozen, you know, maybe there's 12,000 out there for whom it would resonate somewhat if they could just find it. And that's sure. really, that's, that's the grind really. And that's, that's kind of where, that's kind of where I'm at with this show too. You know, I was telling mm-hmm. the story, I think it was on last week's episode or the one before where I was telling the story that this used to, this podcast used to be called because we make, and mm-hmm. it ended in August of 2022. And I thought it was just like, oh, this was a cool podcast. You know, I'm doing a cool thing, but it's kind of run its course. Let me put this to bed now. And as soon as I ended it, I started getting messages from like people I didn't even know were listening. And they're like, are you OK? Is everything OK? Like, is your health OK? You doing all right? Because I know you've had a rough year. It's like I'm mm-hmm. like, no, it's just kind of run its course. Like, I think I'm burnt out on doing it. OK, but if you ever do it again, you got to let me know because I want to start listening again because I used to listen every Wednesday and it meant a lot to me. And it's like, wow really? Like I was part of your routine. Like I'm barely part of my own routine. <laughs> I'm going to be part of yours, but isn't that amazing when people are like, uh, we'll get messages. We have a discord server full of mm-hmm. amazing people. Uh, they're on there all the time. It's just, it, it it's, it's my hub of like, energy I had to back out. It's there. just too, it's too active. I couldn't, it's, it's I so was... active. I can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and people say, you know, on Thursday they go, it's podcast day. Like that's, that's what they call Thursday. And mm. that's because look forward to whatever comes out regardless of the content and that's so gratifying isn't it it is i love one of the things i love that you've done you in particular not not just you but you in particular you've hit this with me more often than not i'll be going through my youtube feed and i'll see something that you have that i had as a kid and i forgot Mm -hmm. about it and the most recent example of it that blew me away was the fantastic puzzler so you put oh, that the, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. You put it on, you put it down, and and I, I'm getting goosebumps now. By the way, I'm, I'm getting huge goosebumps. So <laughs> when I was a kid, I've told this story a, a few times. When I was a kid, my family we didn't have a lot of money, and the Rubik's cube craze hit. You know when we were probably brokest of broke, mm. um, and. I remember I was like, all I wanted was a Rubik's cube. All I wanted was a Rubik's cube. And my father's like, I can't afford a Rubik's cube. Like I, I just can't, I, you can't have one. Mm-hmm. And then one day we were at my grandparents' house and he goes, oh, I, I, he, he goes to my grandfather. He goes, you think we should give it to him? My grandfather goes, sure, why not? And he puts the fantastic puzzler down on the table. I didn't know at the time it wasn't a Rubik's cube. 
I had no idea. I just thought it was a Rubik's Cube because it looked like one. It kind of felt like one because I'd only held Mm -hmm. one in my life. And I was so happy, so happy. But I went through my whole life up until I had that thing for years. And then at some point I realized it wasn't real because it didn't have the Rubik's name anywhere on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, And I was like, oh, wow, that was a knockoff. Okay, cool. But I still enjoyed it. My dad still did what he could do to give me the experience of having a Rubik's Cube. Fast mm-hmm. forward to couple of, like two months ago or three months ago, whenever you did it, and I'm watching Gen X Grown Up on my TV in the living room, and John puts this box on the table. And again, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> again, I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> as I'm talking about it. But he puts oh. the box on the table, and it's like, I'm going, oh my God, that's the box. That's the knockoff Rubik's Cube that I had. That's it. Like it wasn't just any knockoff Rubik's Cube that you Mm -hmm. could find in a bodega. You had the exact knockoff one that I had. And as soon as you put it on the screen, I started flashing back to sitting at my grandparents' dining Mm. room table and my dad putting it. I remember where I was sitting. I remember the smell of what was cooking. I remember what my grandmother was wearing while she was standing at the stove making dinner. I remember every single detail of the moment I got it the second I saw that box. And that's the kind of stuff that I know that that's what you live for because that's kind of Mm -hmm. what this whole thing is about, right? But man- the amount of emotion you can pull out of somebody just by showing something on screen. It's just, mm. it, it's incredible. And I hadn't felt it that strong in so long about anything. And you put that on the screen and I immediately jumped into comment. I'm like, John, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> exactly I remember. Yeah. I had. You know, well, but you've I, done I that tell with- you, Vince, I, I'm so happy you got that. And you, you've given me a gift telling me that story. That's exactly the thing. Like, you never know what thing's going to hit somebody just right. You yeah, know? yeah. A, a thousand people are going to see it and go, eh, it's a Rubik's Cube. And they're not even going to watch it. You know, and then, <laughs> and then there's the people that go, I'm curious. And then you're going to find folks like you. And that could be true for anything. Anything that I just randomly pick up and sure. go, hey, it's 30 years old. Let's take a look. Maybe it doesn't mean anything to me sometimes. Right. But other than it's, it's old and I enjoy, you know, nostalgic stuff. Uh-huh. But nostalgia is a powerful drug. I mean, you talked really about is. how remember what what's, what was cooking and the smell of that, what your grandmother was wearing. It, it's almost like, you know how scents can do that. You have a scent and it brings yeah. back so many, you know, all factories connected to so many other things. I find nostalgia like that in many ways at all, especially nostalgia that has a smell. Oh, man, I opened like oh, an yeah. old book. I picked up a, a used out of print Hong Kong fooey hardback little golden book. Wow. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And I open it. I can hear Scatman Carruthers in my head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he open it up and I smelled that book and I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm back in my room, laying on my belly, doing a puzzle, reading Hong Kong fooey, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm laying up, I got a toy chest upside down next to me and Legos all over the room. I could see that. Yeah. And you can feel it. Nostalgia does that for you. And I, that's the, that's the drug we're trying to help people mainline through Gen X growing up. And when it works, oh, it, I, I'm so happy. It's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. It's funny, you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned smell because I heard a couple of years ago, it was really interesting to me, there was a study done that smell is the most easily recollective sense in your brain. Mm-hmm. Above yeah. sight, above touch, above taste, smell. Mm-hmm. So you will, and I think it was an evolutionary thing so that you can smell danger, so to speak. Like you could smell Hmm. smoke or 
you know, your monkey brain working rotten food. food, like that kind of stuff. And you, you sure. know, we just developed the ability to recall that faster than any of our, our other senses. And I, I've experienced the same thing. I bought books at like Goodwill or whatever, where I'm walking, then just cat, one catches my eye on the shelf. I'm like, oh, I need that. And then you open the book, and that old book smell just wafts up to you, and it's like, oh yeah, oh, oh wow, yeah. okay. Well, open some old wax pack trading cards that have yeah, the old and glue, that gum smell, and, and the gum is just just like rancid dust now. But you still, but you smell dust. it. Like, oh, I'm open to wacky packages, aren't I? I'm back in 1973 <laughs> or something, and it, yeah, it, you can it all floods back. It's funny you say it's like rancid dust now. It's like, well, it was pretty much rancid dust when it came out, so it's not a pretty big. It's, <laughs> right. It would be more interesting if you opened it up and now it was gum. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. It hasn't degraded much over the years. Right. You're right. Uh, but it, it's I love I love like you did. Um, you'd keep doing these um, on the channel. You do occasionally. You'll do like these old puzzles. And mm-hmm. I remember a lot of those too. Like it's just there was there was a point, and you know you could appreciate this because you just did a video about the Pac-Man phone. Which if you're watching the video version of it's it's sitting over John's left shoulder, and mm-hmm. yep. he um, there was a time for those of you that aren't aware in the early '80s where literally everything had Pac-Man on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. Literally everything had Pac-Man on it, and I thought I knew a lot of this stuff, but every once in a while, you'll pull one out of your hat, and it's like, oh, right. Like, I <laughs> vaguely remembered that Pac-Man phone, right. but I also really remembered those puzzles, and seeing Pac-Man on them was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't just me. Like, Pac-Man really was everywhere. <laughs> it was. Yeah, well, I pulled the, what was the, the gumball machine I looked at not too long ago. That was mm-hmm. new to me. I had not seen it before, and this is infectious too. People are often accuse me and all of us on Gen X growing up of costing them money because oh, I mean, they'll see yeah. something. They're like, I didn't even know that existed and I've got to go buy it. Or they're like, I had that and now I have to go reacquire it or whatever it is. And, <laughs> and uh, like, man, you're costing me more money again. Like, yeah, you can thank me later. Cause when you get it, you know, I remember what did we look at? There was, um, there's a Mattel electronic Dungeons and Dragons game that we looked at. Oh man. I'd <laughs> yeah. never seen it, saw it at a toy show, picked it up. I'm like, that's interesting. And the, the angle for the video was, Hey, let's take a look at this and see what it is. And it's interesting. It's Dungeons and Dragons. It's an electronic toy from the eighties, which instantly makes it fun. But like there were missing pieces and I 3d printed some stuff, but then I played it and it's like those noises and all the sounds. There was a run on eBay I know of at least eight people who went out and sought that game out on the secondary market because they saw it, the video that I had produced, and suddenly I saw that they were fetching about 20 or 30 bucks more on eBay because people were like, oh, everybody wants them. Because when you price them, you look at what was sold, and suddenly everything sold out in the course of a week. But uh, that we definitely cost people money. It's not our intent. Like, yeah, we have Amazon affiliate links, but half the stuff we talk about, you can't get on Amazon anyway. We're talking about old stuff that you have to dig up. Uh, and would you get it? You had that, that bonus, like I said, it stinks in a way that only old stuff stinks and it adds to the experience. <laughs> yeah, nothing nothing, nothing brings back nostalgia like degrading plastic. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. old wet cardboard, whatever. <sighs> Somebody gifted me, uh, my friends over at Project Gen X podcast back at the Southern Fried Gaming Expo last year said, I've got some stuff for you. Let me bring it out to your car. It's in a bunch of boxes. And I'm like, well, what'd you bring me? It's very kind of you. They had three big cardboard boxes of board games that have been sitting at their grandparents house and i'm not talking like monopoly right i'm talking crazy stuff like i I can't think of all of them like uh 
there was a, a, a an Aladdin board game and a Zaxxon board game and something made by 3M in 1967 with all of its parts and obscure cool stuff. And you open that up and you, it is it's like, look at these little pieces that no one has touched in 30 years. And yeah. now I'm playing with it. I don't know why I find that so cool. It's just tangible history. Because it is cool. I mean, it is cool. That's yeah. the good part. You know, that's the one thing that I love about this this Gen X renaissance that's kind of going on is you can watch these people. You can watch people online doing stuff and you mm-hmm. can kind of participate as much as you want also. But there's mm-hmm. no like stigma about it anymore. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm great. I'm sure there were some people who was like, oh, just grow up, just grow up. And I'm, I'm those people, <laughs> those people, I don't need that negativity in my life. But you know, there are certain times where it's like, like I've just been recently, I've been buying old electronic table games like Simon and tabletop football yeah. and whatever and awesome. repairing them. Like I'm buying ones that are broken and repairing them, like learning how to really repair these things and get them working again. And I have a Simon under my belt and I have a Coleco football. Well, it's not really Coleco football. It's made by Tudor. Oddly enough, they only made it for like a very short period of time, but it was mm-hmm. Coleco was making it. Radio Shack was making one. And Tudor Games, who made up the magnetic football, the one where the guys run around on the field. Oh, they like also a vibrating kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also made a handheld one like the Coleco one. It's actually really good. I could never play the Coleco one, but I really like this one. But I fixed it. I took it apart and I fixed nice. it and put it back together. And now this thing that was on eBay for like five bucks and not working is now in my collection of stuff and working. Same with the Simon. I did a whole bunch of traces on the board, resoldered stuff. Re-di- and it's like, man, why are you doing this? This is worth nothing to anyone. It's like, I'm doing this for the love, man. I'm doing mm-hmm. it for the yep. love. So. You're bringing this thing back to life that otherwise would have gone yeah. in the dumpster. Right. Yeah. And I did that way back at the probably back in 2017 when I started Gen X growing up and I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm looking for stuff. And I found, um, I think it was called split second is the name of the game. It's, it looks Mm -hmm. like a Simon, but it's a red phone, uh, phone looking thing. And it's, it's, you know, like, I don't have the skill that you have. Like I can't, I can't solder and run traces and, you know, recap boards and things like that. It's just, that's, I never, that's an aptitude I never got, but I can like put a voltmeter on it and go, well, it's not getting charged. It is getting charged buy a part, that kind of thing. But I was able to bring it back to life by buying a, a second scrap one and combining, actually mm-hmm. Frankensteining two together to make something that works. Sure. And it's very gratifying. Like when I got, neither of these did anything when I got them. I cleaned them up, you know, put them back together, fixed it, the speaker was falling out, crap like that. And now it's alive again Well, for two mm-hmm. things that otherwise would have been trash. Yeah, I, I, find I appreciate that, doing that. I find that to be one of my favorite parts of the, um, the Gen X renaissance that's going on is the restoration of the old stuff. Um, I'm sure you watch Toy Polloi. I can watch him mm-hmm. work for hours, just watching him just take like old Star Wars toys and old old Masters of the Universe toys and old mask toys. And mm-hmm. he's just sitting there just like, oh yeah, so no problem. We're just going to reconstruct this. Oh, you're going to what? And then, you know, five <laughs> minutes later, he's got this perfect thing. And he he what, one of the things I love that he does, like he'll do the whole thing and then he'll make decal sheets or as he calls them, decal sheets, um, decal <laughs> sheets available on his website so that if you're doing a resto, cause all these eighties toys, the decals are just destroyed. Oh, yeah. Like most yeah. of my toys didn't even have decals on them by the time I got rid of them. And you know, you can just print out new decals, cut them down and put them on and you can have a restored version of a toy that you loved. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's so cool to watch. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have been a kid at a time 
where a lot of people who are now very skilled at a bunch of things that people didn't even know how to do back then are now bringing all that stuff back. So yeah, it's nostalgia, but it's also this constant feed of you don't have to ever forget this stuff because no one's actually forgetting it. It's, it's wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's wild. It's, it's really uncanny how, Okay, we're impartial, clearly. Every time somebody wants to argue about like who had the coolest childhood, mm -hmm. everybody says it's them. But everybody that everybody who says it's them that isn't Gen X really know it was Gen X, I think. You know, because we had all we had it all. We had everything. I mean, if you were born in the early 70s, you had an analog childhood. And yes. then you live through a transition so where, where digital was, again, it was like, it was the, your blipping football game. It was just a yes. little electronics jammed yes. into something. But half the stuff wasn't even electronic. That was the biggest hits, right? You had crap like the Rubik's Cube, right? You sure. had crap like uh, the, uh, Evil Knievel, you know, Ripcord, you know. That was just a wind-up thing with the centrifuge. That was no big deal. There was no, no wires or plugs in it, no batteries. But then we lived through all of it, right? So we got to see obviously electronics coming to games and everything. And then video games, we had our Atari. And then we were there for the internet revolution. I mean, there's no part that clearly things will happen after we're long gone. People, they'll invent, you know, teleportation and holography and whatever crazy things you're going to get forever. But for the things we're aware of, we got the best cross section yes. of the best of everything. Yeah. People who were born after us missed out on the analog. People that were born before us missed out on the digital. But we where our brains were working the best when we were in our, our our like 12 through 18, like our most formative years, we lived through the swath of we had all of it. We had all of it at the we same did. time. And and yeah, that's not non-fans are like, this guy's raving and ranting about Gen X again, but I I don't think it's BS. I think it's just it's just uh, it's how it is. I mean, it's I, somebody else can change my mind. Put me on that thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. Gen X is best. Change my mind if you want, but I don't think, I, I don't think anyone's going <laughs> to, I don't think anyone's going to change my mind about it. I think, you know, I, I always talk about, you know, that like eighties movies were 50, 50 for me. I loved a few mm -hmm. of them. I hated a few of them. Eighties music, loved some of it, hated most mm -hmm. of it. Eighties mm -hmm. TV, eighties oh, TV. 80s TV was <laughs> was peak television for me. Like I, 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 it's just you know we we talked a little bit about you know when I mentioned Knight Rider on the old show a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and how the response was just overwhelming and people realized how much of a passion I had for Knight Rider as a TV show. Um, you know, Knight Rider. You had Knight Rider. You had Dukes of Hazard. You had the A Team. You know, I love the A-Team because every helicopter crashed behind a mountain and 4,000 shots were fired and no one ever died. Like it's, you know, these elite soldiers could not hit anyone with a freaking M16. It's the most right. amazing a thing in the world. A stick of C4 blows up. The only thing that happens is that four henchmen are thrown into bales of hay. Right? <laughs> They're, all running. <laughs> They're like, they served in Vietnam. Well, then that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when you're having trouble hitting guys <laughs> but i i know you collect a lot of stuff i mean i really hope if, if you guys don't normally listen to the watch the video version of this podcast i really do hope you watch this one just to get an idea of the kind of of some of john's collection that he's sitting in front of as we record but of all the stuff okay. that you've collected what's your what do you think is like your crown jewel what's the thing that you have where it's like i can't oh. believe i have this and i would never part with it if i had to part with everything but this mm -hmm. It's actually pretty easy. It, it, it really is Ooh. pretty easy. I, and I, th I think, yeah, you know, I mean, I have a lot of cool stuff 
mm-hmm. and I had a lot of stuff that I think arguably you could say collectively is more valuable or whatever, but, mm-hmm. um, and not just because it's a video game, because video games are, you know, it's not the absolute focus of everything we do in Gen X. It's a slice of what we do. But a few years ago, I was able to obtain an ET cartridge that was rescued from the Alamogordo, New Mexico landfill Very back cool. in 1983. And when I received it, we talk about smell, right? I received it. It was a Ziploc bag of trash from a dump, right? It's, it's, it's this crushed, mangled box and cartridge, and it's, it's clearly been wet and dry and wet again and dry and compressed and wet. It's all wavy and broken. But when I opened that, and I, it smelled terrible, by the way. It smelled like a dump. It smelled awful. It has this certificate of authenticity. But in the video that I made for it, um, I sure I come across as way too cheesy and way too reverent to it, but it's many of the things I collect and this, especially it's not just the fact that it's this ET cartridge from a dump. It's not just the fact that it comes from this previously mythological Atari burying of stuff that turned out to be true. It's, it's a, it's a talked about putting your hands on things. It's a tangible totem, a, a physical piece of what happened in history. When mm. video games crumbled in North America, I was was 83, right? I was in yeah. junior high or whatever I was. And I saw the arcades closing. I saw the Atari drying up and going in the bargain bin. I'm like, what, what's happening? It's all over. Well, I didn't know about this burying. But when I learned about it later, and then I found out that you could actually have one. Like, one of these is in the Smithsonian. And one of them is hanging on the wall of my living room. Like, can you believe that? <laughs> I, I framed it. I had it beautiful and mounted and everything. I did it myself and I, I love it, but it's one of those things that, yeah, we're going to have to sell this and sell this and sell this. And, you know, I got to make money, but this thing, man, let's just put it in a vault. You know, we'll take it down to the bank and put it in there. Cause I'm homeless now, whatever it is, I, I want to keep that. It's only worth like 1200 bucks or something, but mm-hmm. and first, the fact that it's 1200 bucks in the first place out of the <laughs> dump is something, but knowing what it is and knowing where it came from and its lineage and its history, that ET cartridge that came out of that dump is something that I wouldn't, I mean, I'm not going to part with it as long as I'm alive for sure. That, um, that period, that 1983 video North American video game crash, which, which is interesting mm-hmm. that we both call it that because I didn't even know it was only North America until a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I was like, right. Oh wait, video games were fine in the rest of the world. They just yeah. were dead here. Yeah. Okay, cool. But, um, that whole era was really interesting for me because, like I said before, my family didn't have a lot of money, but we did have a hand-me-down Atari 2600 that my mm. uncle got bored with, and he just gave it to me and my sister. <laughs> nice. So we had one, but we couldn't afford games until about 1983, and it's it all started coming together a couple of years ago. It was like because yeah. we used to go to, you know, there's a there's a bunch of companies now. There's like Ocean State Job Lot and all these different places. There used to be a place in New York called odd lots and odd lot was basically what ocean state job lot and all these other places are now and they were had atari 2600 games behind the counter for two dollars yeah two dollars and my father it was at that point where i started getting games Mm -hmm. and most of them were awful i'm not even going to pretend that they weren't but i had games like i had a collection and mm-hmm. I've played a bunch of these awful games and, you know, they bring back all these memories. But the fact that the market crashed is the only reason I was ever able to get these games. If they mm-hmm. were at Toys R Us at eleven ninety nine or fifteen ninety nine, 
well, there's no way in hell I would have had any games. I would have had no collection to speak of. There was no ROM. And for you younger kids, there were no ROMs and emulation back then. <laughs> you either bought a cartridge or you had nothing, right. you know? Yeah. It, it was, I didn't, I never put that together until mm. I started looking into the crash. And then I realized like, oh yeah, because I was about seven or eight years old. And yep. my father discovered two amazing things. My dad was a very resourceful guy. One, that you could buy games at Odd Lot, which made game buying a lot cheaper. But he also discovered, so I lived in Brooklyn, and there was a place in Forest Hills, Queens, that sold used Atari 2600 games. And I remember mm. the yellow sticker on the back of them with the name of the place and the phone number. So that whenever you had one of their games, if you wanted to know if they were open or if they had a game, you could call them. Oh. And so many of my games were either 99 cent or $2 games from Oddlot, <laughs> or they were, you know, used games. I was buying used games before Funko Land was a concept. Yeah. And again, all these happened because the market crashed. Otherwise, I don't even know if I'd be interested in games because my first game system was the Atari 2600. Mm -hmm. yeah. so. It's funny how fast that happened, too, because I have a very vivid memory of probably like 80, 81, right in there, whenever there was a port of Vanguard that came out on the Atari 2600. And I remember standing at Babbage's with my mom. I hate that game so much. And she paid like 39 bucks for it. And I was blown away. I couldn't believe it wasn't my birthday or anything. And yeah. that was rare. Like, usually it was whatever's on sale, but it was brand new. And I was just, I was super craving it. And she bought it. I'm like, that's amazing. And then I remember, I was probably, I don't know what I was, I was 12 or 13 then. Just a couple of years later, I, I had, could drive. I was 16. And I go to the same mall, go to the same Babbage's, and there's a bin in the front full of all the Atari games. And they're all like $4.99, $3.99, like you said, because uh -huh. and the, the Atari 2600 got rebranded as the junior. They were trying to make it a, a toy, a kid's game. And, you know, for the little brother, right? The big brother's getting Nintendos yeah. now and, and one mm -hmm. of those deals. But it, it came fast. But even the crash as it was, even how damaging it was in some ways, as you said, you were able to get games that you couldn't otherwise get. And for yep. me, it just becomes part of that tapestry of the ebb and flow of the Gen X experience. Like, oh my God, Atari is over, it's done. And as sad as you are, what you didn't know was there's something else on the rise. Hang in, there's something yeah. cool is coming after it. Everybody, they thought it was the hula hoop, right? Oh, the fad is over, video games are done. Well, now it's the <laughs> number one entertainment industry on the planet, bigger than yeah. movies and television combined. I think mm -hmm. it, 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 it sprung back pretty well, I think. And I think <laughs> a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people realize that you know, the the lowering of the financial barrier to entry that that mm -hmm. crash created is what yep. put a lot of people our age into video games like mm. Nintendo. When they came out with the NES, they realized they couldn't keep they couldn't make the price the hundred dollars that they wanted yep. to. And they launched the control deck without a game at seventy nine ninety nine for a, a much more powerful system than anything we had seen on the market other than sure. arcade machines. And it's like if that crash hadn't happened. They would have launched the control deck at a hundred bucks and the regular system at two hundred bucks with just mm. one with just Super Mario Brothers in it. You know, all the whole market was shaped by the fact that Atari did not exercise the right amount of control over their game library. Yeah. And well, you know, another that's another thing that Nintendo learned very quickly. You know, yeah. if you were a developer, well, you can only put out a it, certain number of games and you had to buy the chips from them. And it's like, you know, we look yeah. at it now and go, that's horrible, but that saved the industry it well, really did defense, they didn't know any better they were the True. first ones to jump on that horse right they didn't know how it was going to buck they were 
They were stunned when David Crane and company went and made Activision because they were disgruntled. They're like, wait a minute. Can they do that? Well, they, they had put nothing in place to prevent it. That's what a yep. Nintendo, we're like, we're not having disgruntled people go, you know, fight. We're going to make everybody buy a chip through us to put any game out. And Atari yep. didn't know better, which that was the shovelware problem. That yes. combined with all the rushes, E.T. gets all the blame. Look, I wanted the E.T. from Alamogordo because it's so, so symbolic. But E.T. was not the worst game ever, nor was it the first game to be rushed and have poor quality. Hello, I'm looking at you, Todd Fry, Pac-Man. The thing <laughs> oh is, it, it just... It, it, and I played the hell out of Pac-Man, don't get me wrong. So did but I, it was terrible. It's a, hor- it's a horrible port, it was Pac-Man at home. But the point is, there was so much stuff, it's not just the, you know, the, <laughs> the stupid dog food game and the Crest game, it's not just those things' fault. <laughs> it's that everybody and their brother said it was money to be made in gaming, and Atari didn't know any better, and so they didn't put any kind of restrictions, and as you said, it led to a loss of confidence in the market, because they're like, oh, yes. Atari equals crap. Well, sure. Nintendo did the opposite. Nintendo said, hey, you can put out two games a year. It better be your best stuff if you're going to sell. And that led to Nintendo having an amazing reputation, even for third-party stuff. That's how they pull it out of the nosedive. But they learned from Atari's mistake. Somebody had to make the mistake for Nintendo to know what to do. It was interesting that you know Atari, for the first couple of years of its existence, was pretty much a first-party company. Everything came mm-hmm. out of Atari. You know, when you buy your Atari twenty-six hundred, one of the things that when we got ours, one of the things I loved doing was I would flip over the box every once in a while and just look at all the screens of all the crazy oh, yeah. games that were out there. Mm-hmm. But they were all Atari. There was no Activision back then. Oh, that's right. And yeah. and then you get um, you know Activision comes around, and then later Imagic. You know, because mm-hmm. Magic was formed by former Activision developers, and now the yep. two best third-party developers on the platform are people who formerly either worked for Atari or Activision. <laughs> and some of the best games, as far as I'm concerned, were made by Activision and Magic. I mean, Demon Attack, oh, yeah. Cosmic Arc, Atlantis, those were three of the best games, and they were all made by Magic. That's right. You know, yep. the, when it, it got, it gets to a point now where when I play, I have a lot of Atari ROMs. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm some high-minded collector. I have no physical games anymore, <laughs> but I have a ton of ROMs. But the games I play the most, they're rarely Atari games. I think the only yeah. Atari game I still play all the time is Yars Revenge, and that's because Howard Scott Warshaw is a damn genius. You know, yeah, well, an evil Yars genius. Revenge, create... yeah. Adventure, Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. There are a few in there that, uh, that I'll play and play. And E.T. I'll go back to it. We could have a whole show about why <laughs> E.T. is much maligned and what's wrong with it is not so bad. It was really ahead of its time, but you talked about looking at the back of the box and looking at all the screenshots and stuff. Um, that was that's another thing you don't get anymore, right? You download yeah. your game digitally and you're playing it within 30 seconds and you're going. But it used to be, you know, we went to the mall, we hit up Electronics Boutique and I got a, a game. Well, now there's the absolutely interminable ride home where I'm currently not playing it. So it's open <laughs> and I'm reading the instructions. And and look, I'm reading the instructions, the part that say move up to move up, left to go left, down to go down. I probably could have figured that out on my own. But, but it's like it. sitting at the table w- with no phone and all you can read is the back of the cereal box, right? So it was the closest thing to play in the game I could get. So you'd read the manual from beginning to end I used on, to the, on the car be... ride on the way home. I would read the manuals. I'm not even going to lie. I would read them in the bathroom. Like I would go to the bathroom yeah. as a kid and I'd take a manual with me because I wanted to stay connected to my Atari, even though I wasn't <laughs> in front of it. Like I was so, it was such an important part of my childhood. That's why when I see, you know, I, I knew what it was for me and I had a couple of friends who had them. So I knew what it was for mm-hmm. them. But as I've gotten older and you start to see like people like you and I, who it was, I mean, when it was the thing, it was the thing. 
And yep. I get this this feeling like, oh my God, you not only were it alone, but you were in isolation part of this giant neural network of people that were in love with this cheesy system by today's standards and probably still enjoy it to this day. It's there's this community around it because we all had the same experience in isolation. It's That's such right. a crazy thing. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing we're trying to tap into right, doing content creation about that Gen X experience is look, the Generation X crowd is not the easiest crowd to get them to figure out how to listen to a podcast. Like no kidding. <laughs> right. So especially if you're like, oh, we do content creation. Oh, was well, that on the Internet? You know, look, we're all old. Like we used to make fun of old people. Right. So we're all in our 40s, 50s. And uh, you know, they're, they're not the biggest YouTube viewers. They're not the biggest podcast right. listeners They're we, we, we hammer Facebook because it's in our demographic, it's the best demographic for generation X because everyone sure. who's younger has moved on to TikTok and Instagram and stuff. But my point is to mobilize those people. But once they find out, I, I don't know how many times I've heard, I had no idea. So many other people also loved X. <laughs> once, once they get out there and, and like, wait a minute, you're doing a whole podcast episode about rotary phones. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's not ridiculous. Somebody needs to sit down and talk about the experience of rotary phones yeah. because yeah. nobody has. I mean, sure. Okay. Someone has that we hadn't yet. We hadn't heard people with our voice talk about the experience what it was like, you know, how you had to untangle the cord and it got in weird knots and like all that is part of it. And we experienced it, as you said, alone, right? You're sitting there on the phone, you're trying to untangle it. You had the long one that you try to pull, you get a shut girl, the door behind you. Yeah. A girl calls your house and you have to take the call in the kitchen. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. What the hell yeah. kind of crap yeah. is no, that? No, like, no, no. I'm mumbling. No, I love you too. No, no. Hey, Stacy. Hey, Stacy. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, no, no. My mom's right, right here. No, we'll mom's like, who are you talking to, Vincent? Is that your little girlfriend? <laughs> mom! <laughs> no, mom! <laughs> okay, dinner's ready, and I made the cupcake for dessert the way you like it. Stacy, I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> I, I cut the crust off so you can eat. <laughs> oh, I he's high maintenance. I know your tummy. I know your tummy doesn't like it when I leave the crusts on. So tell your friend, tell your friend that so she knows oh. when you guys have your little picnic, mm. you know. Oh. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Can I get a phone in my room, please? Thanks. Yeah. So much. How about I just bash my head over this my bash myself in the head with this bakelite tank that you have on the wall? <laughs> Man, it's it's fun though, because what I love about what I love about the nostalgia that you guys generate is it's it's always it's always light. And it's always, you guys manage to evoke the emotion without hitting us over the head with it and telling mm -hmm. us like, you know, I like one of the, one of the things that hit me and I kind of felt like a real jerk, you know, most favorite game is Qbert, And I absolutely mm -hmm. despise that game. Like okay. I, I yeah. hate that game with every fiber of my being. Okay. And you know, I always thought it was kind of like, oh, Moen is goddamn Cubert. Moen is Cubert. Moen is Cubert, right? <laughs> and then one episode, one episode, he talked about how it was his brother's, and he used to play it with his brother, and he and his brother would play the game, and he'd lost his brother, and it made him really emotional, and he, that's mm -hmm. why that game had that connection for him. And oh, yep, there go the goosebumps again. And it's just <laughs> like, it's like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, this isn't just a game for him. And I started to, I once, I feel like that was like a turning point in listening to you guys talk about stuff because, you know, it was fun going down memory lane and listening to stuff. But then when he, when he said that on that one episode, it hit me like, this is about more than the physical thing. There's more, mm -hmm. there's a deeper connection to these things than we 
tend to for, we tend to forget about that part. We go, oh, I have the thing. This is the thing. Mm-hmm. I have the thing again. You know, especially yeah. people like us will will recollect. I'm I'm sure you recollect a lot of oh, stuff, yeah. stuff that you've gotten rid of over the years. Sure. But the emotion of that game isn't in the physical game. It's in the experience of playing it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like mm-hmm. it's a lot of the stuff that we had as kids, you know, the, the fantastic puzzler, you know, the 40 million different Legos, you know, way back before mm-hmm. they made specialty Lego parts and everything was a damn brick, um, you know, matchbox cars, Hot Wheels cars, all that stuff, slot cars that never stayed on the track, no matter what you did, mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's like that those experiences, you know, waking up on Christmas morning and turning on my dad's Lionel train and just watching yeah. it do loops around the tree skirt. And it was just like, uh, is that a great toy? No, it's a stupid toy. It makes, it does, you know, it runs around six feet of track continuously in a circle. And if you're really lucky, every once in a while, it'll puff smoke because you put a smoke tablet in the top of it. But I remember what those smoke tablets smelled like. I remember the electric shock of the tinsel landing across the tracks. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember all that stuff and all those emotions just come flooding back. And you guys are so good at pulling that out of people to make the memory more about the experience of being there than the Mm -hmm. thing you were there with. And honestly, dude, that is why I love your channel. And that's why I love the podcast so much because it's an emotional trip every single week, every week. So we try, I mean, we absolutely do. That's, I mean, that that's the target and that we hit it for you is, is just makes me just so proud. Um, you know, we've talked, we talked a lot about games a lot. I mean, you know, on YouTube, you kind of follow the trends and right. So we were sure. very general. And then when someone hits, like we started reviewing these little arcade toys and people really like them. So we do more of those. And so I think there's often a just assumption that, oh, you're a video game channel. And we do a lot of that clearly because it was a big part of it. Sure. But the thing that people think, oh, it's a video game channel. You must be a YouTuber that does video games and stuff. It's, and I've, we've talked about this before, but just for your audience, because you, you hit on it, there are two quick things I want to share. And one is arcades in general. Mm-hmm. And there's the experience of standing in an arcade and hearing all the noises and playing, seeing all the games and all the, the smell of the, you know, the, the cigarettes that are ground into the carpet and whatever. But it's <laughs> all of that is part of it. But especially for me, and I think for a lot of people, too, that was that was one of my first tastes of independence, right? So when I was 14, mm-hmm. 15, you could only go do that when your mom allowed you to. But man, when I was 16 yeah. and had a license, like there was no question. I got in the car. Where are you going? You're going to McDonald's. You're going to Dairy Queen. You're going, and I'm going to the damn mall. I'm walking into the arcade and I'm going to stand there for as long as I want. It was independence. It was freedom. It was It was a taste of being an adult and doing what you wanted. And that was what I wanted to do. And standing mm-hmm. there again gives you that feeling of like, like I, you've arrived somewhere, you, you, you've, you've achieved something, even though it's just a bunch of plinky video games going clink, 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 clink around you. But it's the same thing when I walk into a modern arcade and, you know, it's, it's a pizza place and they got 20 games or something. You walk in there and I'm like, it's not the place, but I remember the feeling of being in the place when I could take yeah. myself there for the first time and like like behind me you could say i have like a a replica rock'em sock'em robots is -hmm. it because i'm a huge rock'em sock'em robots fan not really but when i see it on the shelf i remember me and my dad laying on our stomachs in the middle of the living room on christmas playing that stupid game for hours Mm -hmm. you know and i'm like 
that that chunk of plastic doesn't do that for everybody. But every time I look at it, that's what I think of. You know, it's it's those kind of connections that make that nostalgia more than just member berries. It's not just, hey, you remember, you remember, you remember. It's not that. It's do you remember the feeling you got when you first experienced it and what it meant to you? I remember my dad, my dad's favorite game on the Atari 2600 was Yars Revenge. Mm-hmm. And I didn't love it as much when I was a kid. I love it now. It's my probably A and B to my favorite game of the time, which was Demon Attack. Demon Attack mm-hmm. is my all-time favorite Atari game. Great but time. I can't really say it's not Yars Revenge anymore. It's kind of like A1 and A2 at this point. And I remember very vividly the very first time I looped, I looped Demon Attack five <laughs> or six times in yeah. one, on one life. And my father and my father was like, you know, just jaw dropped and sitting there watching. My mother was watching on the couch. My mother did not know a damn thing about video games, but she knew something amazing was happening. And my father is just keeps going, holy shit. Again, whole he must have said holy shit about 35 times in in that one sitting. And I think I ended up looping it like five or six times. And I remember on one life. And I remember after the game, my father took out, he went into the cabinet and he got a roll of masking tape and he put a piece of masking tape on the back of the cartridge and he wrote the score on it because he wanted to remember (laughs) that score. He's like, you, he even looked at it. He goes, you're never, ever going to beat this score. But that was amazing. And I remember my father saying that to me because my father was this hard, like carpenter, blue collar Italian guy from Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. compliments and praise were rare. I mean, he was, it's not that he didn't praise. It's just that he just, well, no, actually, that's exactly what it is. He didn't praise. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, my dad was truly proud of me. You know, I could bring home straight A's on my report card, <laughs> perfect scores in school, hey. hit a home run in Little League. But I did well on a video game. And damn it, that's going to get commemorated. But that's what I remember. Every time I play that game and I'm on a hot streak playing Demon Attack, I'm like, proud of me, Dad? You know, you're proud of me, Mm -hmm. Dad? (laughs) It's so weird. I'm 46 years old playing this game going, my dad would be so proud. My dad would not care at all. But in my (laughs) mind, I'm reliving that moment where I looped the game a few times. and It's invaluable. It really is. Like... So many memories were shared with my with my dad over the Atari twenty six hundred, mm-hmm. and it was such a even even like the other stuff I had like Castle Grayskull. I remember the year I got it for Christmas. I have no idea how my parents afforded it. I have a feeling my grandparents bought it for me and then put mm-hmm. my parents' name on it. I don't really care how I got it, but I did get it. And I remember waking up one morning and I saw the box in the living room. And my father goes, all right, let's get this thing together because it's not going to it's not going to be fun to play with in the box. And I remember my father struggling, putting decal. My father was real. He was good at everything. He was terrible at putting on decals, which is like I said earlier, most of my toys didn't have decals because my father Mm -hmm. was just like, oh, they didn't come with decals. I have no idea what happened. (laughs) But I remember him putting Castle Grayskull together and I had Castle Grayskull forever. Like I held on to it because it was like Mm -hmm. this was my dad built this. You know, and I, I people yep. that don't, you know, I feel like stuff is way more disposable now because yep. everything's digital and transient and you kind of forget about stuff very quickly. But there's so many things that I had as a kid where, I mean, I was showing, I, I was showing someone a couple of weeks ago, I have the very first stuffed animal I ever had. I still mm-hmm. have it. 
Mm-hmm. I have the very first book I ever read. I have it. Nice. Like I have both of those things. Are they worth anything to anyone but me? No. Yeah. But they are worth a fortune to me. Now, wouldn't you love to add your collection that uh, that demon attack cartridge with the masking tape on the back and oh some my god pin scratches? Would that be amazing? <laughs> it would be. Absolutely Who knew? We never knew we wanted to keep that stuff. Oh. I remember. I remember when I got the Nintendo, and you know, I got the first cartridge I ever had with the battery, and it was Legend of Zelda. And it's like, wait, it stores your information? Like I was so that. used to masking tape on the back of a cartridge with scores. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was brilliant. Like we can remember the scores, you know, some people kept a book. My dad was much more practical. He's like, I hey, keep it on the cartridge. It's with the cartridge, mm-hmm. you know, but then it's like, Oh, they have batteries now. And it's just like, you know, I, I don't want to be the get off my lawn guy, but like kids today, <laughs> it's my like day. everything you have now is digital and transient. Yeah. And, you know, it just comes and goes and, you know, I feel bad about, I mean, I'm looking at it right on my desk. I have an Ambernick RG350 sitting on my desk, like right where I record. It's always somewhere around. I have multiple of these (laughs) scattered around my apartment. People come in and they're like, what's that? I was like, oh, here, it's every Atari 2600 game ever made. Enjoy. (laughs) What? And then I lose them. And that's why I don't invite people over anymore. But um, (laughs) yeah, I I love love it. They get commandeered by your friends because they also basically. Basically, yeah. or or they buy one and they go, okay, could you set this up for me? Yeah, mm-hmm. give me a week, yeah. I'll get it done for you. <laughs> so, what's in? What do you guys have in store now? I know, you know, we we've talked a lot about we've talked a lot about you know the particular things, but we haven't talked about the business of Gen X growing up that much. But mm-hmm. it would yeah. be worth talking about because there has been a pivot recently. You did, you oh, yeah. like me, we've both um, joined the ranks of the unemployed. Congratulations right. to twenty twenty two, better than twenty twenty. Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> Um, but you are, you, I can already see the output on your channel and in your socials is really, you're ramping it up quite a bit. I'm seeing more podcast clips. I'm Mm -hmm. seeing more content on the channel. Um, so what, what's in store for Gen X grown up as you navigate through your new reality? Oh boy, I, I sure wish I had a crystal ball and I could tell you where it's going to end up, but I mean, you, you fairly well encapsulated it. I, so never in my life since I started working have I not had a job, have I not had an employer, have I not had a regular paycheck, and never before mm-hmm. have I been fired or laid off. Right. Um, but I mean, this was an, an extreme period of time at my company and talking to my friends after I left, it continues to be extreme, like it's well beyond yep. just around a round of layoffs. There's a huge immigration of talent leaving the company, and yep. that's a lot of dirty laundry I won't get in, go into, but effectively... I had no shame getting laid off because I was laid off with a bunch of rock stars that I, I thought would be there long after me and we were all let go. And so I didn't have this feeling of like, like you can be laid off and have a feeling of rejection, right? Oh, I'm not good enough. I was let go because I wasn't important enough. But I, sure. I know it was, it, it was a financial situation. And look, maybe they also didn't like me. I don't know. They kept me for a long time. <laughs> the point is, I didn't feel like horrible rejection after it. So right. I had a fairly clear head a day or two after and I had always said, look, I, I love creating content so much. And it was what I was doing as a full-time hobby, part-time job in the background. And it's the thing I love the most. Mm-hmm. So given this fresh opportunity, look, I had some severance from my job to let me go because I didn't just quit. I didn't get mad and walk out, right? I had some really aggressive savings that I'd set aside. And we get small revenue from a Gen X grown up, which we have never done anything other than reinvest into what we do. We've never mm-hmm. taken a salary or anything other than uh, pay for a dinner here and there, right? So so with all of those things together, I'm like, so here's the deal. 
we never be we might never be able to make content creation a full-time job for one of us let alone three of us mm-hmm. but if we're ever going to find out somebody has got to bite the bullet and try to do it as a full-time job and here was an opportunity right. so so effectively that is now my full-time job i'm doing a daily vlog where i get up in the morning and stand in front of a camera and go okay it's tuesday i want to do this and this today yesterday we did this here's how i'm feeling here's how i'm thinking and then I get busy and I work all day and I, I sometimes I edit the podcast live on Twitch. Sometimes, I, you know, whatever I can do, I've been trying to repurpose old content as much as possible because things I did five years ago when we had 120 subscribers, people never right. saw. I can take right. one of those. And now I have, you know, 18,000 subscribers, which sounds like a lot when you have 100, but it's it's not a lot in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but I can well reach those people. And more people by repurposing it into short, as you said, the podcast, we're recording in video now and putting out little snippets as reels on Facebook. And mm-hmm. we have all this stuff. And now myself, along with the tremendous efforts of my co-hosts, both George and Mo, you know, they're supporting me. And we're just we're trying to do as much as possible to move that needle. Uh, look, n- nobody here wants to be rich or famous. It would be a nice side effect. But in reality, I would just love to be able to do this thing, to create content that people enjoy, to have an audience to appreciate it and be able to focus on it. And I know a million people would love to be, I want to be an influencer. I don't want to influence anybody. I want to inspire people to go, I remember that thing. That was cool. If mm-hmm. I could just get a few thousand more people to remember the, how cool that thing was, <laughs> we would be in business. It's, it's getting outside the bubble. Um, and and, you know, from a purely mercenary standpoint, I would be lying if I didn't tell you that was one of the reasons I was happy to accept this invitation to be on the show. The mm-hmm. more people that I can reach, the more people are aware we exist. Not everybody's going to love what we do, sure. but if they give half a damn, they might go check it out. And sure. it's of those people, you know, now, obviously I enjoy your show. I'm, you're a very genial guy. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, but I'm always now thinking about how can I get more eyeballs and ears on the stuff that we do. And I'm so the, the short ending answer to your question is I have doubled or tripled down on gen X grown up and content creation for the short term. And I'll find out when my savings runs out and, you know, in six, eight, 12 months, however long it takes, whether Mm -hmm. or not it worked, or I just have a bigger hobby that I can go back into the, the workforce and do so. I think, I think you've given yourself the best opportunity I feel mm-hmm. like, cause I went through, I honestly, I went through the same thing. I didn't have the rejection because a lot of people mm-hmm. were let go back to back to back to back to back. I had a little bit of severance that I could get by. Mm-hmm. Um, I just sold my house back in February. So I still have some money in it the helps. bank from that. The panic, the panic that most people feel when they lose their job, I've just not felt it. And instead mm-hmm. what I've done is like, okay, well you can get by for a little while, well, yep. you know what? In- why don't you just enjoy this time instead of freaking out about it? Because it's the end of the year. You can't find a job now anyway. But sure. instead of freaking out about it, roll with the punch, take it as it comes, work on your content creation, grow the podcast, grow mm-hmm. your YouTube channel, grow your woodworking and your jewelry making and do all those things. And hey, if it doesn't work and you still have to go find a job, fine. But you've started the you've moved that ball faster it's rolling Mm -hmm. faster that when it still has to stay a hobby it's a nicer hobby than the one you left your job with so to me i should be more nervous than i am 
But yeah, I just can't too. bring myself. I, I, I right? Like, yeah. I, I almost, that's the guilt I feel. Like, I should be panicking, but I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but when I, when I had to, when I knew I was going to, losing my job wasn't a surprise. It was just a surprise that it took as long as it did. Yeah. Um, and when I restarted this podcast, I actually told people like, hey, look, I'm going to do this podcast, but it needs to be financially successful in some way. Or mm -hmm. I can't do it. Like I have to focus on things that make money. So if you guys want the podcast, I will give you a podcast, but you've got to subscribe and join and support it. And yeah, you did. Help us out. Be before I even dropped the first episode, I had, you know, I was m making more than I was on the prior podcast. And it's like, yeah. okay, then the people have spoken. Here's what I need to do. And if I can do that with this, an audience the size of mine, mm -hmm. I am pretty sure that at the very least, more people are going to get turned on to what you do. Not the least of which are the people listening to this right now who may not even know you guys exist. Now mm -hmm. they do. Um, I know, I know for a fact, and I tried to find it and I couldn't, but I know for a fact that I made you guys my thing of the week on Because We Make about two years ago. I know oh, I really? did. I, I remember did talking about you guys and I, I really wish I could find it, but oh, I know I that. made you my thing of the week. You guys were, because I was like, this is the this is the best channel. Like, it was in that mode. I was in that mode of nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. And it was like, I found you guys. And then I started my own Twitter account called Retro Love Letter, where I do this stuff. You mm -hmm. know, it's kind of like, it's one of the things that doesn't make money. So it got kind of pushed aside a little bit. But right. you guys motivated me to start that. It's like, hey, I could talk about the stuff I loved as a kid too. Sure. Yep. And I just think that you got, you have the right approach to this. And I really hope that in a year, in a year, I can have you back on this show and go, well, oh, John, I, I am absolutely honored that you're on here because, you know, me getting out to your audience is going to be worth a bazillion dollars. <laughs> well, in a year, you can call my associate and you can co coordinate a call if you'd like. <laughs> It'll be far too big of a deal. You have your no, it won't be people. any direct emails to, to your email address, that's for sure. <laughs> no, but it's it's oh. been so great having the moment to actually chat with you because I feel like I've been watching you for so long and it's like just being able to just shoot the shit with you for a little while about all this stuff is just, it, I feel like I'm talking to an expert who I've just come to just as a person, I've come to really enjoy. So it's been really, really fun talking to you about this kind of stuff. It's been fantastic. It's, it's a great pleasure. You are, I, I'm so humbled by all the kind things that you said, but the, the biggest thing you've said of everything is the things you talked about that touched you directly Mm -hmm. that's that's the thing that makes me the proudest and to hear and, those little stories so happy and that's why i had you on because i always tell people like they're like oh man you really do a lot of research on your guests like i don't do any research on my guests if i have a guest on it's because i know their stuff i know mm -hmm. what they do and i am i have a connection to what they do in their work and if i have that connection then i mm -hmm. know their stuff i can have a conversation i don't need to i don't need to pull it off a notepad to know what to say to somebody so I am yep. absolutely flattered that you even gave me the opportunity, especially on relatively short notice. I think I no emailed you Friday and you're like, yeah, no problem. I'll come on. I was like, all right. Of course. Nice. Yeah. Um, hey, my schedule's open because I have no job. It's really easy <laughs> to coordinate. So funny. That was actually in our email exchange. For those of you listening, that was in our email exchange. John's like, so when do you want to record? I'm like, well, you don't have a job and I don't have a job. So pretty much I'm wide open. You tell me when and I'll be there. <laughs> so. There you go. Works out. Uh, it's been great though. Um, do you want to switch over and do our things of the week? Cause I have a, I'm curious to know what you brought with you as your thing of the week or what you want to 
push out to our uh, our fan base here. Oh, so many things that I could do. So 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 tell me, Vince, what what, what sort of things should I do? I wasn't prepared. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll no. do something okay. I don't normally do. I will okay. go first. I will okay. go first because I got something new that I actually used in my latest YouTube video because people asked me like, wow, the quality of that video okay. is really good. Okay. What'd you use? Okay. So I got a new camera, another one. I know. Mm. I just got a Canon M50 a couple of weeks ago for doing my YouTube videos. And I wanted to upgrade my vlogging camera, which was a Canon SX730. Great little camera, but no mic input. And the video quality was 50-50 most of the time. So I went and I got a Canon G7X Mark III and why did I settle on this? Well, the video quality is exceptionally good. I don't shoot in 30 frames, so I can't do 4K with this. Um, but I could do 1080p 60, and it comes out stunningly good. But it also has a mic jack. So I can use my mm -hmm. DJI mic with it and have wireless right. a wireless mic into this. And that's where this is money in the bank. So I shot my first video with it this weekend. I did a vlog style, a shop vlog of me getting two cutting boards ready for christmas delivery okay. and they actually went out yesterday morning so they are going to make it there friday literally the day before christmas eve they're going to get where they're going but i documented the whole process of me freaking mm -hmm. out and going through the process and showing people i make my cutting boards and most of the shots were done with the g7x mark iii i would highly recommend it the quality is so good that i probably didn't need to buy the m50 and that pisses me off but it's fine um you know i wanted one of the things i did one of the things i think i mentioned this before but just so you're aware one of the things i did was as i knew i was losing my job i'm like okay time to start upgrading all the content production stuff while uh, you have a job you'll need so it. i got yeah. an insta 360 link as my my webcam i got a canon m50 i got the dji mic and i got the canon g7x mark iii so every aspect of my content creation got an upgrade and I'm really glad I did it. I, I don't regret doing any of it. So that's my thing of the week, the G7X okay. Mark III. Amazon has it. I want to say it's 700 And then the cage that I put on the bottom of it so that you can get a cold shoe right here for yeah. accessories, that was like $20 on Amazon. Yeah. And that's a necessity so that you can attach the receiver for a wireless mic. But that's my thing of the week. So, okay, John, I've stalled enough for you, buddy. <laughs> so if, if, if you watch the channel, this won't come as a big surprise to you. Well, I, so I went back to my, my set here to grab something. The first thing I grabbed, I just had to pick up the wonderful puzzler just to show you. Yeah. have it here in my hand and makes Vincent <laughs> yeah. giddy. But probably the most impactful thing, um, it, it sprung out of this. So you mentioned watching this video and you enjoyed this video. Mm -hmm. um, and in the video, I said, man, I love this thing. I don't have an original Rubik's Cube, but I have this original knockoff, which is really cool. And someone was watching that video and said, I can't believe John doesn't have an original 1980 first edition Rubik's Cube. And they shipped me a brand. It was, it was shrink wrapped when I got it. Yep. This is from 1980. There's paperwork in there that tries to explain how to put this together. And I, I can't really properly convey how I got, I got, I got, I teared up a little opening this thing because I know it was shrink wrapped. I know it was done in a factory in Taiwan. I know the air in there has not escaped. I know it's 1980s air. I know no one touched it since it was released. I know it's brand new. And I like, I have my, my exacto knife and I'm piercing the plastic. And I'm like, I, 
you, we talk about memories in this show. I think this is appropriate. Why this is my thing of the week is because we've talked about this nostalgia all through the show. And this was one of those double doses of nostalgia for me because it's a Rubik's Cube. But I remembered opening mine probably circa 1980 that looked like this, that my parents mm. got me. And I'm like, I'm doing it again. 42 years later, this is a first year, 1980 cube. And look, it doesn't cost a million dollars. The guy that reached out was John Wagner over at Wagner's Tech Talk, another wonderful YouTube channel. And he and I aren't tight buddies. You know, we've exchanged maybe two Discord messages ever. But I think that really speaks to how meaningful sometimes the content I do is this guy got something out of that video and said, if that guy cares enough about that knockoff Rubik's Cube, he needs this thing. Sure. And it was so gratifying and so humbling. And I was so grateful. And now sitting next to my wonderful puzzler on the shelf back there is a genuine Rubik's Cube that, by the way, in the video, I open it and play with it and listen <laughs> to those beautifully crunchy, springy noises that an old school Rubik's Cube made. Mm -hmm. And anybody could watch that and go, dude, relax. It's a toy from 40 years ago. Don't get, but what we talked about, it's not the thing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the emotional swell that comes with the thing sure. that makes it so important. And so, so that guy did me just an amazing service to get this thing. You can get them for like 50 bucks sealed, just like mine. I just never went out seeking and to know that I got it because someone was moved by what I did makes it all the more valuable to me. So it's, you can get them like that, but it's yeah, how I it's got wonderful. it. It's wonderful. It was wonderful. Your reaction as you were opening it, you, you, you could tell like there was, there was a, there were a lot of toys like that. Like I remember when I got Optimus mm -hmm. Prime, my dad came home that he was, I, I know the whole story behind it <laughs> because I was old enough to understand what was going on, but there was a store in Brooklyn called Times Square store. Um, and Times Square store had a sale on transformers. And I saw it in the newspaper that morning. And I remember, <laughs> I remember telling my mom, I was like, man, I wish like it was $37, like $37 for Optimus Prime in 1983, 82, let's say. Mm -hmm. And I remember going, oh man, Optimus Prime would be the greatest thing. Cause I had a lot of GoBots cause we couldn't really afford Transformers. Sure. So I had a lot of GoBots yep. and the small Transformers. And my dad came home that night with a big black TSS bag <laughs> and he just put it down in the living room and I didn't acknowledge it. Cause I thought it was his lunch or, you know, he brought something home from work or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he, he let it sit there. Like it sat there through dinner. It sat there as we watched TV that night. And finally it was like eight o'clock at night. He goes, you know, I'm really surprised you haven't opened that bag yet. <laughs> it's like, well, I didn't think I was supposed to be opening the bag. He goes, yeah, go open the bag. I pull, oh. I put, pull the bag apart and I could see the Transformers logo and it's a big box, bigger than any I ever had. So you know what it's got to be. Uh, yeah, it's, it could only be one thing. And I pulled it out and my eyes lit up and I just, I just immediately ran into my room and just shredded the box. And <laughs> it was just, it was the greatest thing ever. But yeah, it wasn't Optimus Prime that I, it isn't Optimus Prime that I remember. It's the feeling of, you mm -hmm. know, what it felt like in that moment to have that thing that I wanted so much. And exactly. my dad yep. finding some miracle way to get it for me. So Phenomenal. I have no idea how he did it, but I do appreciate it. And the older I get, the more I appreciate all those things that they did for me in hindsight. Kind of crazy. Sure. But. Of yeah. So, yeah, I totally understand the emotions. Uh, if I got an Optimus Prime in the box today, yeah. I would probably have those same emotions that I had 
that day. You know, it's just I'm sure. Oh yeah, you will. Uh, so yeah, the Rubik's cube thing wasn't even that weird. In fact, I was watching it, riveted to it because the video. You know, you had just done the vi- the video on the puzzler before, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah. wow, now he's got a real one. He's going to be really happy because I know you love your Rubik's cubes. So <laughs> I do. Yeah, of course. Um, I actually have a Samsung mobile one because I used to work in the wireless industry, and I have a Samsung mobile one in my on my shelf inside. It's it is a real Rubik's cube, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. branded with Samsung mobile on each face. So oh yeah, I, it's yeah. Like it's a, the only real like one a, I've ever owned. <laughs> is, it a, is it a picture cube? Like the centers have to be oriented? Is it got or is it just Samsung? The yeah. The, so the centers are all yeah. Because I suck. I, I've never solved it. By the way, I had okay. an app. I had an app on my phone that you take a picture yeah. of each face, mm-hmm. and then it crunches it and it tells you how to turn it to solve it. But I will say, I just ordered. It's really funny. You've inspired this. You should know this. I yep. just ordered. There's a company called GoCube. And oh, they I've make got a GoCube. I have a couple Go Cubes. Oh, okay, so I bought it off the Kickstarter, and then I gave it as a gift. Yeah. And then they recently they're having a sale right now, like the Go Cube EX, like the cheaper mm-hmm. model, is like yep. twenty dollars. So Amazing. like you know what, I just bought another one. So mm-hmm. I am going to learn how to solve Rubik's cubes. That is, I want to yeah. learn the algorithm because there is an algorithm. It's just, sure. you, yep. just and I'm going to learn it. I, I figure that's a productive way to spend my unemployed time. Content creation and solving Rubik's Cubes. There you go. I tell everybody who says the Rubik's Cube is terrible, I can't solve it. They think that, but it's because they've never actually looked at it critically. It's just, it's a little pattern recognition and some memorization. Yeah. It's not it, that it's, it's not, you don't have to know 43 quintillion different combinations. You just nope. have to know about 12 and you're like, you know, Oh, I recognize found... that. Let's do this thing. I recognize that. Let's do this thing. Yeah. Did you, do you remember a couple of years ago they found the God number? Do you remember that or no? They found uh, the God number for the Rubik's Cube, and I think the maximum oh, number th- that it should ever take if you do it right. Oh, twenty-seven. It's not moves. that many. It's very it's few. twenty-seven. Ah, crazy. It's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> twenty-seven mm-hmm. moves you can solve any Rubik's Cube, no matter how messed up it is. So it tells yeah. you how easy it actually is. You just got to remember twenty-seven mm-hmm. moves. So, yeah. not <sighs> me. It take. <laughs> not- I can do them now in about a minute, but I'm not rushing because for me, it's it's there's a zen to solving those puzzle cubes (laughs) that's even if you take the nostalgia out of it it's the part of your brain that it's doing that Mm -hmm. it it, it siphons away like the perception of time the perception of space because you're using the spatial awareness kind of stuff i used to use that when i traveled in airports i'm like i got 40 minutes to wait for this plane i would sit down with a five by five cube and by the time it was done we were boarding because just time slips away and it's just it's it's that that's part of why i love them so much I had Rubik's Magic. I was always able to solve that. It's very difficult, but I have. Mm-hmm. I still have one, actually. That's it's the very difficult. Thing, right? the, yes, the, the one with the flap. It's flappy, and you kind of. Mm-hmm. I can. I can't solve it anymore. I don't know how I was able to solve <laughs> it as a kid. But you know, my favorite was the pyramid. Do you remember the pyramid? Yeah, the pyraminks. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. that yeah. was my favorite because that one I could actually solve. I was re- really fast at solving yeah. that. I could yeah. never solve anything else but the pyramid. Anytime, anytime mm-hmm. was my go-to. And my dad's favorite was the globe. He had, there was a Rubik's globe. It was basically the tiles slid on the face of a globe oh, was and the, the countries rolled different colors. Okay. Thought you were thinking it probably wasn't a Rubik's device to be right, honest right. with you. Well, there was a marble one too that was a globe that had tracks with marbles in it you had to move around too. Very similar. Oh yeah, that's a whole different, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, remember cool. that too. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Cool. Um, you know who I don't want to forget, though? I don't want to forget the people that support this podcast financially. Mm-hmm. And those people include Matthew Serio from Artigiano Serio, Big Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, Tori Decker of Tori Did It, Ed Swanson of Ed's Clocks and More, Jake Drews of Make with Jake, 
Megan Chris from Onyx Designs Woodwork, Christian Neary from Warren Works, Jeff Stein, aka a weird guy, Kim and Garrett from Kim and Garrett Make It, Rory Langefeld of RLL Woodworks and DIY, Robert J. Keller, Rebecca Cole of Beck C Designs, Brian Arsenault, the Seven Hills Maker, Lars Coleman of Colorado Multicraft, Dave Bauer of Dave Bauer Art, Jeremy Spies, Mike of Pixels to Prototype, Donald LeBlanc of Fun with Woodworking, and Grant Alexander from the clamp podcast thank you so much for the financial support for the podcast i really appreciate it if you can't support the show financially you can leave a review share the show say hi even if you want but reviews would be really good right now we haven't gotten a review on the show in a very long time and reviews do help people find the show so i would really appreciate it if you have a moment if you would like to support the show you can go to vincentmferrari.com support and you can subscribe there i have plans at all different tiers whatever makes you happy um, actually, it's probably not going to make you all that happy, but it's making me really happy. <laughs> I will be really, really happy. But even if you can't do it, I appreciate you just listening and sharing the show and letting other people know about it, because the more people know about it, the more people listen, and the easier it is to get a quality guest like my good friend, or my, I should say my new friend, John. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so You bet. John, it's been an absolute joy talking to you and taking a trip down memory lane. And I appreciate you giving me so much of your time today. Um, it's been oh, yeah. an absolute hoot. So no, it's completely mutual. It's been it's been a blast. Thank you for having me on here. It's look an opportunity to talk about stuff I love and myself. Those are my two favorite <laughs> topics. <laughs> so that's really great. If only you could talk about tacos, then we'd have the trifecta. I'm sure. I'm sure we could find a way to squeeze some taco talk in. in. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> in fact, if you live in New York, I'll tell you that the best the best place to get tacos is Hudson Taco in Newburgh, New York, which is way up the Hudson River. You wouldn't expect it mm. to be good, but the tacos there are the best tacos I have ever had in my life. So there you go. Best tacos in New York. Hudson taco. Go for it. There you go. See, now we talked about tacos. (laughs) We got it all. We did the whole, the whole deal. Thanks so much. Where can people find you and the stuff you're putting out and all of that? Where can, if somebody wanted the, uh, the full Gen X grown up experience, where could they go? You want to get the, the full Gen X grown up Monty? Yeah. It's no problem. Monty with clothes, please. More clothes. (laughs) No, no offense to George, Mo, and you, but more close. <laughs> I, I, look, I agree with you. So I, I think, look, anywhere you are, if you search for Gen X Grown Up, it's all one word, G-E-N-X, Grown Up, all one word. And look, we're on YouTube that way. We're on Twitch. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on all the things that we're on. Or you can just go right to genxgrownup.com. That's our website. And that's the repository of everything that we have and links out there. Yeah. If anything we've talked about is at all of interest to one of your listeners, I would be honored to have you there. And have you drop a comment on something, say Vincent sent me and I'm going to send him a nickel, right? Or something. Guys, a nickel. That's a whole, that's a whole freaking nickel. Do you understand how many YouTube views you have to get to earn a nickel? Right. Hey, nothing. Any joke change. (laughs) Make it happen. John, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. And I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas. I hope you have a fantastic new year. And I look forward to chatting with you all in the new year because guess what? I ain't going anywhere and I hope you don't go anywhere either. Until then, have a great week, everybody. And I'll talk to you then.
Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!